The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, Jolenta. Hey, Kristen. It has been one week since we lived by a girl's guide to joining the resistance, and you know what that means. It's time for another By the Book mini-sode. That's right. It's time for another Buy the Book epilogue. This week, we're looking at the aftermath of Living By, A Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance, a feminist handbook on fighting for good by Emma Gray. Our listeners had many thoughts about this book, and there were some crazy, lively debates over on our Facebook community, which you should definitely check out. P.S., remember to be nice to everyone. Everyone be nice. Everyone's opinion matters. If it makes you super reactive and want to squash it down, like take a minute to think about why that is instead of just typing. Yeah. Anyway, the dialogues that have been prompted by this episode are incredible. And so are some of the questions we've gotten. And we wanted to start with this question about feminism in high school from a listener named Kayla. Yes, Kayla writes, I'm an incoming high school senior and I, like the both of you, have no problem voicing what I give a fuck about. From creating my school's walkout for gun violence to publishing articles about white privilege in my school paper, I get a rush from voicing what I believe in. I've met with my congressman before and work a lot in my community to help empower more badass women. I'm also a part of the Women's March National Youth Empowerment Board, so I feel kind of responsible for making other people care about these important issues. The problem is... I relate more to women your age than to those of my own. As sad as it is, I feel as if most girls my age don't understand the concept of feminism or are too lazy to try. How can I pull the methods from this book to help empower teenagers? You ladies rock and keep doing what you're doing. Oh, that is so great. We love hearing from teenagers. I've read this a bunch and I'm like going to cry all of a sudden. (laughs) So, so great. Uh, I, I'm just going to say, Kayla, I was a little bit like you when I was too, your age. I, I, I was going to anti-nuclear proliferation marches when I was 14. I was in the streets protesting. I was volunteering with local politicians. Um, I was in the Amnesty International Club. I was doing all of these things. And let me just tell you, what you're experiencing is not new. Every mm-hmm. generation, for as long as there have been humans, there have been some teenagers where they learn to cope with what's going on around them by doing this while you might do that. And sometimes people are going to cope by, you know, spending a lot of time on Instagram Mm -hmm. or mostly just trying to fit in with their friends. They're just Uh, playing that sport really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. um, Throwing themselves into school clubs. And other people are going to look more outward the way you are. And so I promise you, you know, every time someone says kids today, I promise you, it's been kids forever. It's no worse than it has been. So just know that. And the second you get to college, like, you'll feel much better because I just feel like people start caring more because you, like, almost feel like you're out in the real world. Yeah. And also, I would just say, like, if you want – I mean, I don't know if this advice would work at all. But I, even though I was similar to you in high school, was also super self-centered because, like, all teenagers are. We're obsessed with ourselves and our new bodies and our image and, like, everything's so amazing and new. Just remind – the women around you, how feminism or a lack thereof will affect them in their lives. Like, 
you know, I don't want to say threaten them, but be like, don't you want to make just as much money as like your high school boyfriend sitting next to you? Like in the real world, like this is an issue or, you know, you have to make the sort of bigger themes of feminism more personal. Yeah. I think that's yeah. an a easier way to get to the to the more, you know, self-centered minds of teenagers. Yeah. And as always, you know, lead by example. Don't preach. No one's yeah. going to react to preaching. But well, they aren't going to react well to my threat. <laughs> no, I, you know what I mean. That yes, was a horrible absolutely. example. But I just say remind no. them it's personal. Like, don't you want to not have to pay $800 to get an IUD? Like that kind of stuff. But again, don't preach it the way I just did. But I think what you're bringing up is completely valid, too. I think just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And remember, it will get better. It doesn't feel like anyone cares right now. But I promise as you go through life a little bit more, more people yeah. you'll see will be caring. All right. This leads quite well into the next question about the word girl. We just heard from a girl. And um, this is a question about the word from Adrian. Adrian says, love the last episode, but the feminist in me is always bothered by titles with the word girl in it. It sounds so cutesy and babyish. Would a man be excited to buy a boy's guide to joining the resistance? I don't think so. <laughs> Such a good point, Adrian. I feel torn on this because I think it was used tongue in cheek. You know, like it's a girl's guide, ha <laughs> ha. Like sort of like the like old the school. girl's guide uh, to hunting and fishing. Yeah, and like yeah. the old school etiquette books of like a woman's guide to like being a proper wife and entertaining. And like I feel like it's those. It's it's a nod to those things that have traditionally held us back. But I also feel like we're not quite at a point in history where we can like safely poke fun at these things because, you know, we're still not making the same money as our male counterparts, especially like if you're not white and we're, you know, fighting for the rights for, like, our bodies to be recognized as, like, something other than a physical anomaly that needs to get, like, regulated. You know, like, we're not quite there yet. Yeah. And I just want to add something to this. This book is, in many ways, a primer yes. to feminism. It is targeting people who are thinking about feminism maybe for the first time. And for a lot of people, that is actually girls. Mm -hmm. it, it's people like Kayla, the high school student who wrote about feminism. I mean, for a lot of people, they are girls who are going to be reading this book. And not all of them. Jolent and I are full-grown women. And, you know, I, I think the word girl gets used more than it should. But I also have come to accept that for a lot of people, it's just the vernacular. Yeah. You know, I mean, the golden girls... They're great. They aren't girls. They're grown women. But they're also my heroes. You know. That's true. So let's move on to the next letter while we're on the subject of girls. Mm, yes. yes. So we heard from two listeners about this subject, Cole and Jules. And they brought up a question of whether trans and non-binary people are included in this book. They both rightly pointed out that trans people know what it's like to live in a world perceived as a woman, regardless of how they identify in the present. And what's categorized as women's issues can affect non-binary people and trans people just as much as cis women. Yeah, that's completely true. Yes. And I, I don't know if we gave enough of our show over to the intersectionality of this book. We should have made it more mm -hmm. clear. This is actually woven throughout the whole book. It really is. And it talks a lot more about sort of, you know, the structural inequities of our society and, and the systems that keep that in place. 
and hearing all perspectives from all walks of life much more than we were able to convey, I think, in the original episode. But, you know, that being said, also, like, there isn't a specific call out to those who who have possibly gone through life experiencing the prejudices that women experience while not even identifying as them. They just say, like, you obviously have to seek out experiences other than your own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's get to a couple of corrections. These Mm -hmm. are corrections Mm -hmm. targeted at me. Kristen, I feel like it's a running theme from, what is it, our first season when you said Dean replaced, like, the car's motor yeah, or engine. I said engine. Oh, the engine. Yeah, you were like, he replaced the engine when it was the battery. Like, Kristen does not know her machinery. No. Nope. And I'm not going to hold I that against her because neither machine. do I. But I do know <laughs> you can't, like, easily single-handedly replace a car's engine. Well, my husband can do anything. Dean's a hero. I love him. And good at replacing a car battery. All right. So one correction came from Becca. She says, just a technical correction. Kristen talked about Freon being pumped into the air from air-conditioned buildings by opening their doors. Air conditioning is bad for the environment, but just from the amount of greenhouse gases it creates from the energy it uses, not from the Freon. Freon is poisonous, but air conditioning units are closed, cyclical, and pressurized. If it was losing its Freon, it wouldn't produce cold air and also would receive a $37,000 fine from the EPA if it was discovered, which, by the way, it probably would not be discovered because oh, a business sure. would not report themselves. Yeah. I don't think they but would report themselves. That's good to know. Yeah. but Not that, Freon in the air. Nope. Nope. And, um, yeah, those greenhouse gases, they, I mean, one thing that you said in the episode, Jolenta, that I loved is you can't cool the outside air by leaving your doors open. As a matter of fact, you're actually warming the outside air because you're just contributing more to the greenhouse gases with your AC. It's so, true. Yeah. We yep. have a problem. Yes. And another correction about air conditioning from Hannah, who tweeted, did you know it's actually illegal in New York City to leave business doors open with the AC on? So it's not just something that's bad for the environment. Oh, hey. It is illegal. And she copied on this tweet, NYC Water and NYC Climate. Well, something you should know, Hannah, mm-hmm. is um, after we recorded that episode, which was several weeks ago when we were living by that book, actually, um, it was pointed out to me by several people who saw me tweeting to these businesses. And they said, hey, if you copy NYC 311 or copy any of these oh, other organizations, nice. when you send those tweets with your photos, because I had photos also, oh my they will get back to you. And as a matter of fact, multiple businesses have now been investigated because I copied 311 on those tweets. So hooray for 311. Report those businesses with their doors illegally open. That's incredible. I'm going to tweet 311 all day long now. All right. Oh, Kristen. Oh, I know. I know. It's time for the criticism. We got an email from Jen about your not speaking English tactic. She says, Kristen, you mentioned how sometimes you'll pretend you don't speak English when you are faced with those people holding clipboards. It was a small comment that could easily be overlooked, but my jaw dropped when I was listening. I had to rewind to see if you really said that. You said that while discussing your focus on racism and social justice, your comment got under my skin for several reasons. I was a high school teacher in an urban school, and I taught on our bilingual team. My students didn't know any English, and man, they were treated terribly. People were almost afraid to communicate with them and avoided them. Also, my mother 
is from the Philippines. Her English was okay, but she was still treated terribly for her accent. She wasn't allowed to teach us Tagalog because my dad couldn't understand it and didn't want to learn. I guess I can't believe you'd play on people's unconscious or conscious bias of your ethnicity to get out of something. Jen, I am so surprised that you are the only person who wrote yeah. in about that. I was expecting so many other people to write in about it. Um, Cameron and Jolenta and I were totally joking off mic about how I'm a total like betrayer Monster. of my race yeah, and how no horrible kidding. it is that I do this. Um, it is bad because, frankly, most people who are Asian in the U.S., like me, the vast majority of us speak English. And when I pretend that I don't speak English, it is playing to certain people's Mm -hmm. stereotypes. That's not cool. And on the flip side, though, I'm going to say this. What is so wrong with people not speaking English? English is not the official language of the U.S. And I'm totally fine if some people don't speak English who live in America. I'm fine with that. Um, But you make such a valid point. And I know the problem with doing this. I, I know that I'm playing to something that is not cool. Um, Plus, last... you also get annoyed when you're like, some people are like, where are you from? Oh, God, I hate that. I get it all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. a constant I've, thing. Every friend I have that isn't why I get it just because I look Jewish enough. Like, yeah. I swear. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible part of being an Asian person in the U.S. You're constantly being questioned as if you are a foreigner. And then sometimes I, I admit it. I just get fed up. And fine, I will play the foreigner because mm-hmm. you're treating me like one all the time. And it's exhausting to always be a foreigner. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And sometimes it's just, I don't know. Why can't you reap the benefit for once of someone assuming you don't speak English? Yeah. I mean, I guess sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I do. It's it's definitely not me being my best, though. It's Mm -hmm. not. So I totally understand where you're coming from, Jen. I appreciate your writing. Again, I'm surprised more people didn't write. I expected there to be tons of I thought that that. would be like the big issue of the episode. Yeah, I thought so too. Totally. All right. But enough about me. Let's shift gears and talk about you, Jolenta. Great shout outs for you on this episode. Here's one of those shout outs from Claire. Claire says, Jolenta, your story reporting your gym teacher has struck a chord with me, particularly on this episode when you chose not to hear from your abuser. I reported my rape and abuse case to my college. Part of the process included the opportunity for my abuser and me to each write a statement to each other. I chose not to write anything to them. I thought, fuck you. You don't deserve to know anything about how I am feeling. I still relish that choice. It felt powerful and healthy for me. On the other hand, they did write me an apology letter a quote apology letter. Mm -hmm. It was so problematic. They clearly did not understand at all what they had done wrong and were manipulative and victim blaming. It was just another attack and more concrete evidence that they were only interested in hurting me. It did not help my well-being and made my recovery process harder. Jolenta, I so respect your decision to prioritize your needs and not hear from your teacher. Abusers should attempt to own their behavior and learn from their mistakes, but absolutely not at the expense of further harming their victims. His feelings are not your problem. Oh, thank you, Claire. Thank you. Yeah, I thought long and hard about that because basically the the headmaster of the school was like, you know, he's written you a letter. Can he send it to you? And so I just had to think about it. And uh 
I was going to be like, maybe they can send it to Brad and then Brad can read it and tell me whether or not it's going to be a bullshit apology. And I was like, or I could just say fucking no. Like, I clearly want to do everything to avoid actually receiving this letter or getting any direct contact from this man. Like, I'm just going to say no. And, you know, that letter was written by a PR firm and published in in the same paper as, as my essay. And... It was, you know, sorry, like, you misunderstood that all I want is for people to be healthy. Like, I've thought about my actions, and, like, I've only ever wanted to, like, make people healthy. And it's like, Mm. so you're not, you didn't think about your actions. You don't own shit. And, like, it has made me, you know, have a nice resurgence of anger that I didn't need. And I'm just glad that there are some people out there who who think it's okay to, I was going to say be selfish. It's not being selfish to take care of yourself. It's just going against what we're programmed to do, which is like always give a man the benefit of the doubt, always be accommodating. And always like, be nice, don't always, make a fuss. Yeah, always worry about like his career being derailed, whether or not like, you know, what about self-esteem Can't being derailed? Can we just come derailed? to a peaceful like, agreement here? Let's just make no. the peace. What Let's if someone did peaceful. bad shit and you exactly. just say it's bad and the person who did the bad shit is like, fuck, I did bad shit. I need to look at myself harder. Like what if that is how we apologized? Until that's how we apologize, especially men to women, when it comes to violating their, you know, souls. <laughs> like, yes. Then I'll take a read. Amen to that. High five. That was just us clapping. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the things our listeners are doing to change the world and some of the things they won't or can't do. Stay with us. Do you ever find yourself wading through your newsfeed on Facebook or Twitter, wishing you could just call someone up and ask, what do I really need to pay attention to here? Well, what if you could? I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next, Slate's new daily news podcast. And every weekday morning, I'm going to be on call for you, taking you inside one story, going deep behind the headlines. What Next is news you're not going to get just scrolling through your phone. To listen, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We are back talking about the aftermath of Living By, A Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance, and of course, hearing from all you wonderful listeners out there. And now let's talk about some of the things that you guys out there are doing to help the world. This is an email that Jasmine sent us about some local involvement successes she's had. She says, Dear Kristen Angelanta, I agree that starting hyperlocal is a good way to go, accessible and easier to see the impact of your work. I'm a lawyer and volunteered to lobby for increased recess in my children's school district. Through our efforts, we increased recess by 50% in our district. This involved researching Virginia state law and laws governing schools, speaking at PTA meetings, a local school board meeting, and organizing a parent email campaign to convince the school board members that more recess would help students. Through the effort, I got to know parents and community leaders and achieve positive change in my community. Oh, Jasmine, that is fantastic. Oh, it's just such a nice example of like those systems working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how speaking up and organizing really can make a difference. All of the kids in your district 
have an improvement in their yeah. lives now because you know what? They're not locked in the schoolhouse all day. Yeah. They actually get to go out and use their bodies. And we all know that our minds work better when we use our bodies. And added bonus, like I bet Jasmine's life is a lot more interesting and well-rounded now that she has met all of those people and spoken at these things. Like it's great for obviously all the children in her district and probably her own life. Yeah. Fantastic. We applaud you, Jasmine. We applaud you. All right, let's get to Hallie. Hallie wrote about a small step she's taking to help the environment. I just love this one. She says, inspired by the recent focus on recycling and the environment, I made a change I'm really proud of. I'm a cashier at Walgreens, and when a customer comes to the counter with only one or two items, I began asking if they wanted a bag instead of just automatically bagging their things. Most people respond by saying they don't. And I'm happy that I'm making a very small difference in the number of plastic bags out there. That is fantastic. Why don't all stores do that? I don't need a bag for that pencil I'm buying. Yeah, don't need it. Don't need it. In New York, this is such a common issue. You buy a can of soda. They put it in a bag with like six plastic spoons, a straw. God, before you can even say like, well, I don't need a bag. Yeah, yeah. But I still say I don't need a bag and sometimes I just leave it on the counter. Yeah, me too. I'm like, I'm not taking it. But what I love is that Hallie is actually just creating a situation where people don't have to say yes or no to while you're halfway through bagging their stuff. You're just giving them the option. Do you want a bag or not? I think that's great. Great job, Hallie. Yay. We also got this great letter from Becky. She says, Jolenta and Kristen, I loved your latest episode and it inspired me to think more actively about ableism. Although I spend a lot of time thinking about social justice issues, I often take the fact that I'm able-bodied for granted. I'm going to make an effort to be conscious of small things like leaving larger bathroom stalls and fitting rooms open for people in wheelchairs, which I have not always done in the past, as I can fit in most spaces easily. I want others to be able to do the same. Oh, Becky, that's fantastic. Love that. That is great. And it's such a small step that makes a big difference. Love that. So good. All right. Michelle wants to remind us that every call we make to elected officials makes a difference. She wrote on our Facebook community, I just finished the resistance episode. I know that this was mentioned in the comments, but I wanted to reiterate a friend of mine works in Congress and the people answering the phones and letters are literally just making a tally mark for and against the issue. What is passed along to our elected officials is an overall idea of where the constituency stands on the issue. So please don't worry about your words being perfect or beautiful or having great talking points. Just reach out and get your opinions covered. And Jolie added to this on Facebook. She wrote, Please know that even if you're not a citizen, congressmen are still technically representing you. Congressional seats are Mm. apportioned on the basis of the census, which counts all residents, not just citizens. I say this as someone who cares and who works in this area. Don't be afraid to call regardless of your status. Oh, love both of those letters. And Jolie, I love your name. (laughs) That's my nickname. Yes, yes. Jolie and Jolie. Um, Michelle. Jolie, thank you so much for those points. Those are so helpful. Meanwhile, we got this email from Jess, who is wondering about the limits that some countries put on the actions we can take. She says, I was wondering if the book mentions anywhere some of the limitations to the taking action step. I recently moved to Cambodia for work, and last weekend the country's prime minister was elected, in quotes, for his 33rd year in power. I know that there are many different ways one can take action, but being from Australia, calling or writing to your government representative is a practical way to contribute to real systemic change. 
In a country like Cambodia, however, speaking out against the government can be incredibly dangerous, resulting in prison or even death. I was wondering if this was at all acknowledged by the author. Ooh. Um, this question is hard to answer, Jess. The examples of sort of feminist icons listed in the book come from all over the world, but the actual taking change steps seem to be pretty geared towards how America is run. Yeah, or the Western world more yeah. broadly. It is not giving tips on how to deal with dictatorships or violent regimes. It's not going to tell you how to go into no. uh, Cambodia or, oh, God help us, North Korea and try to change things. No. The book is not about that. It really is about people who are living in the Western world and what steps we can take for ourselves. So I also just want to say, don't do anything to endanger yourself, please. Yeah, just ever in yeah. America or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, please take care of yourself. Please be safe. When we're changing the world, we need to make you sure we're to alive to alive. do it. Yeah, yeah got to be alive to do it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about female-only spaces and we'll announce next week's book. Stay with us. And we're back. Kristen, let's talk women-only spaces, shall we? Yes, women's-only spaces. we got a few different letters on this topic. Mm -hmm. Rebecca wrote, I would like to speak on the power of women-only spaces. I attended a small liberal arts women's college. I entered as a 19-year-old who was both sick of feeling less than as a woman and saw women as less than as well. Oof. The respite from male gazes and opinions and competition combined with the powerful women and sisterhood and knowledge I gained there transformed me. I entered thinking I was, quote, bad at science and, quote, not smart enough and left with a BS in environmental science. I also was given enough space from straight culture to realize that I am bisexual, though I did not have any sexual experiences with women while I was at college. I am now an empowered woman who supports other human beings regardless of their gender. It changed my relationship with myself as well as others. It definitely does not have to be a women's college, but I encourage my fellow women, trans or otherwise, to seek these spaces out and hopefully find the value that I found. Similarly, men I spoke to that went to men's colleges had some good experiences. I can't speak to that in detail, but I know safe spaces for men exist as well. I don't spend much time thinking about, you know, colleges that are only for one gender. It's funny. I mean, I'd love to get Dean's thought on this. Dean and his sister in New Zealand, uh -huh. it's very common to go to just a school of one gender or the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. He went to all boys schools his whole life. Oh, really? And his sister went to all girls schools. Um, and one thing that he said was, um, in a way, it's great to be away from the glare of heteronormative, are you hot enough for the other person sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, he did admit that when he was exposed to females because they were so other. Yeah, so exotic and such a, like, rare opportunity. Yeah, that it, it, it sometimes meant he was a little bit stunted in how he dealt with people of the opposite sex. <laughs> <laughs> Dean? What? No, I can never D &D? see that. Dungeons and Dragons, Dean? Are you no. talking about Dean? Stunted with women? <laughs> but I do love what Rebecca's saying here about the safety of this kind of space. Yeah. A place for not just 
physical safety, but, you know, emotional exploration, figuring out who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having that breathing room while you're going through so many changes intellectually, physically, like, that would be so nice. Yeah, that sounds great. So thank you, Rebecca, for sharing your story there. But, you know, not everyone has had such great experiences with women-only spaces the way Rebecca had. We got this letter from Amy who says... Love the concept of female-only spaces. I do not seem to be able to find one that will let me in. I moved with my family five years ago to a new area, and the moms here are a click and don't let me in. Even when I take my daughter to activities or when I try to enter in with them or talk to them or get to know them, I get shut out. Female-only spaces can be inaccessible to some and even hurtful to some. My husband works in a male-dominated profession, and many of his work friends are also not married, and my job is pretty independent. I'm a home health nurse. So I'm pretty stuck in an almost all-male environment, adult-wise. That's a bummer. That is such a bummer. That sucks. Sounds like there's some Mm. mean girl shit going on in your town. I hate that. The whole idea of, you know, cool moms versus not cool moms. I mean, that's lousy. And it's, it's disappointing because to me it just indicates that like these people haven't dealt with their own personal baggage and instead of like looking at what causes them pain, they're just going to like keep perpetuating that cycle even in little ways in mommy groups. Like, yeah. come and on. Amy, you know, I think everybody listening is totally on your side here. Those women are horrible. You deserve better. You can find other spaces. You can find other women. And I encourage you to possibly look at meetups, look at other groups that are around you. online communities, even though it's not as gratifying usually. But there are people out there who would be so lucky to have you in their friend group. And, you know, enjoy also the male friends that you have. Um, Even though this book really celebrates female-only spaces, it's not saying that you shouldn't be friends with men as well. Enjoy the male friends you have as well. Enjoy the Mm -hmm. people you have in your life. Yeah, enjoy them. Um, That kind of leads well into into this one. Yeah, yeah. Katrina's question. She tweeted, hey, Kristen Meinzer, how did you find your amazing ladies book club? Are they friends you knew already or did you specifically seek out a book club? It sounds so lovely. The answer is we have a rule. You're not allowed in the book club if you know someone in the book club. What? This is a book club designed to be all strangers. The founder of the book club, her name is Allie. She's lived all over the country, and every time she moves to a new place, she starts a book club. She lists it on bookclubs.com, Reader's Circle, a a bunch of other sites. And then anybody who wants to join a book club can see that she's looking for a diverse group of women across ages, across backgrounds, um, and ideally socially-minded people. So then she interviews each person, and then we join the group. Shut up. Allie? left after two years but and our you guys group has been going, going on yep and that's so good we just rotate interviewing new incoming members and w- some of us were born in the u.s some of us weren't some of us are white some of us are different races uh some of us are gay some of us are straight some of us have kids some of us don't it's a really nice. fantastic group and we really set out in the beginning to try and read primarily female authors as well but like any book club it's not just about the books it's about our lives as well and we kind of have become a support group for each other so um, I encourage other folks out there to maybe try the same thing. If maybe they're looking for a female space like Amy or if they just, you know, want to connect with people that they don't know. 
That's such a good idea. I was just talking to my therapist about how I need to like figure out what I like and like maybe meet some new people. Maybe I'll start a book club. Do it. Do it. Do Do a book club for just watching bad murder shows. Is that oh that would be a fun (laughs) club. That would be a fun club. Well, that's it for our listener mail today. A huge thanks to everyone who wrote us this week. And as always, you can tweet at us at Jalenta G at Kristen Meinzer and at By the Book Pod. Feel free to join our Facebook community, and you can always email us at buythebook at panoply.fm. Yes. And now? It's time. It's magic time. It's It's time. time. It's time to announce next week's book. Our next book book is The Curated Closet, A Simple System for Discovering Your Personal Style and Building Your Dream Wardrobe by Anushka Reese. Will we discover our personal styles? How can I build a dream wardrobe if I'm naked in my dreams? What if our style isn't simple? Listen next week to find out. And thank you, as always, to our producer, Cameron Drews, who, by the way, you can follow on Twitter, too, because he's really, really funny. He writes lots of jokes. Oh, he's hilarious. His observations are so dry and so funny, but I'm like, I can't retweet everything he fucking tweets. He'll think I'm a loser. Anyway, he's at at Cameron Drews. Follow him. Thank you so much for listening. Thank and you, for everyone. Following Cameron Whoa. on Twitter. Thank you for being just the best women in the whole world and men and non binary people. All of you. We love you all. Thank you. We love you all. Bye bye. Because you know what? They're not locked in the schoolhouse all day. Yeah. They actually get to go out and use their bodies. And we all know that our minds work better when we use our bodies. Sorry, I'm cracking up that you said schoolhouse. Oh. I just imagined a bunch of kids in like a one-room school in like a Virginia school district. Like, You know what? I don't care if it's a schoolhouse or if it's one of those things that looks like a church or if it's one of those things that looks kind of like a prison, like some of the schools I went to. Regardless, you deserve to be able to yeah. breathe some fresh air, go outside, get a nature fix if you're a kid.